by Candlelight Podcast. Last time we started in the preface of Luther's Catechism. Now we're in part one, which is on the Ten Commandments. So if you have a Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 20. I think it's just helpful to have something tangible to be looking at. If you're a note taker or you write in your Bible, then, you know, give her. But uh, this is the first of three places in the Pentateuch. I'm pretty sure it's three where God gives the Ten Commandments. Um, So it starts officially in verse 3. You could read verses 1 and 2. I'm not going to talk about them, but I mean, it's still the Bible. So give that a read. The way that Luther's catechism is kind of laid out is it gives each commandment. And then Luther asks the question, what does this mean? Followed by then answering the question. And that's how largely the entire catechism is laid out. In the preface, he makes a big deal about going through this word for word. So the layout of how we're going to go through the rest of this is I'll read exactly what's on the page word for word. And once we've made it through the Ten Commandments and Luther's short little conclusion, we will uh, we'll chat about it for a couple minutes. All right, let's start. The Ten Commandments, as the head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? Answer, we should fear, love, and trust God above all things. The second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does this mean? Answer, we should fear and love God so that we may not come to swear, use witchcraft, lie, or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. The third commandment, you shall sanctify the holy day. What does this mean? Answer, we should fear and love God, so that we may not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. The fourth commandment, You shall honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you, and you may live long upon the earth. What does this mean? Answer. We should fear and love God, so that we may not despise or anger our parents and masters, but give them honor, serve them, obey them, and hold them in love and esteem. The fifth commandment. You shall not murder. What does this mean? Answer, we should fear and love God so that we may not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him in every bodily need. That is, in every need and danger of life and body. The sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? Answer, we should fear and love God so that we may lead a pure and decent life in words and deeds, and each love and honor his spouse. The seventh commandment, you shall not steal. What does this mean? Answer, we should fear and love God so that we may not take our neighbor's money or property, nor get them with bad products or deals, but help them to improve and protect their property and business. The eighth commandment, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does this mean? Answer. 
We should fear and love God so that we may not deceitfully belie, betray, slander, or defame our neighbor, but defend him, think and speak well of him, and put the best construction on everything. The ninth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? Answer, you, shall f you should fear and love God so that we may not craftily seek to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or obtain it by show of justice and right or any other means, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. The tenth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his cattle or anything that is his. What does this mean? Answer. We should fear and love God so that we may not turn, force, or entice away our neighbor's wife, servants, cattle, but urge them to stay and carefully do their duty. What does God say about these commandments? Answer. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What does this mean? Answer. God threatens to punish all who sin against the commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not act contrary to these commandments, but his promise, but he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. Awesome. Well, there you have it. That is, that is Luther's part one on the, uh, on the Ten Commandments. All right, I have just a couple thoughts that I think are worth chewing on. The first thought is that this is where Luther starts. I think this is like, I don't know, profoundly strange or countercultural to where we are today. When we do evangelism, I think we tend to want to build consensus. And this is the way that we kind of work this out is if we can get you to agree to enough statements, you can start coming to church. And then once you're in church, you know, then your life starts to change or the, the whatever. And I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is that that's just not how Luther starts. Even in the preface, Luther says, particularly about the Ten Commandments, that if you're dealing with a congregation full of merchants, probably zoom in on the do not steal commandment because that's the one they're going to be most prone to committing. That we, we've often made sin too abstract a concept, is I think the point here, where it's not good enough to just say that people are sinners. I think of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, where what he seems to do is he reflects on the church in Ephesus and their past life with all these you once were statements and then all these kind of now you are statements. And I think that's just a really fascinating thing that sin isn't this abstract thing, that it's a specific thing that specific people are dealing with. And so if you're going through these Ten Commandments, look at them, look at what Luther says they mean and ask yourself, what specifically am I most guilty of committing here? And what does that mean about the for the gospel? And here's kind of 
the conclusion of this thought is, is again, I just don't think we have a tendency to start here. I don't know if that's good, if that's bad. It certainly is different than where, where Luther starts. Think of Romans chapters one through four. I would, I, I would ask if you're listening to, uh, go and read those. Why does Paul start off the way that he does? And I think it ultimately comes down to this point that the gospel is good news. And you've probably heard this said before that the good news doesn't matter if there isn't bad news. And so what is this bad news? Well, there's a law and we fail to meet it. And so there's something to what Luther is saying here that this law matters. How do we fit into that? And how does the gospel fit into that? Okay, my second, my second thought You'll notice if you read the Ten Commandments, or if you even look at them in Hebrew, um, in Hebrew it's like lo and then the verb, lo being kind of the negator, so do not do this thing. And you can see it's, it's almost, it looks kind of like poetry. It's just so symmetrical because it all starts with lo, um, and it looks the same. Here in our English translations, it's do not, then do not, then do not, etc. We go through the whole Ten Commandments with all these kind of negative commands, and if you look at how Luther spins these, they're all positive. The the not the commandment themselves. He doesn't change the commandment, but in the what does this mean? Luther always goes, We should fear, love, and trust God. We should. We should. This goes to, I think, a human propensity to be people who like move and who are active. So if you're wrestling with a particular sin, I don't know what it might be. Maybe you can't help your but lying all the time. You just lie. Maybe you're addicted to porn. Maybe you're whatever. The point is, is it's not good enough to just sit back and go, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Because then you're just filling your sin with nothingness. And what's going to fill that nothingness? That, that's actually probably a good way to be tempted. And so Luther wants us to re- be reminded, and I'm sure this is me putting words into Luther's mouth, but I'm sure that there's a theologically motivated reason that he did this, is that, he wants us to be people of action. Don't just fill your sins with inaction. That's not wise, but fill your sin with action. If you are addicted to porn, do something about that. Go, you know, whatever. I don't know what, what it might be for each individual person. If you're a liar, do something about that. Don't just stop lying. Start telling the truth. Things like that. So it's not just this conscience, conscience effort where you're occupying yourself with with your sin, it's actually you're occupying yourself with something else that hopefully will just kind of leave your sin behind. Uh, one of the Desert Fathers, I forget who, has this fascinating metaphor, or I don't know what to call this, an illustration of sin being like laundry. If you leave your laundry in a corner long enough, it'll just kind of disintegrate and fall apart and you won't be able to wear it anymore. And that's kind of the same thing as sin. You leave it behind long enough, and all of a sudden you're not doing it anymore. I think that's where Luther is coming at with this positive spin on these sins. It's don't actively think about how you shouldn't be sinning. Actively do another thing that causes you to passively forget about your sin. I hope that comes across clearly. All right, my third point is, is again, back to this idea of the law. I think this is strange. We, we, I think the church today needs to do some serious 
um, soul searching on this, not because I don't think we've answered this question before, but because I think our answers have been forgotten and we're not talking about it anymore. There seems to be a lot of confusion, and you can see this in debates among different people or in books about what the law even is and who it applies to. And what's fascinating is that the guy who, who kind of coins this Reformation phrase, sola fide, that you're justified by faith alone, still ends up saying, look, these commandments matter. They're truth, like God gave us these. And so I'm not going to answer the question, at least not here, because Luther doesn't seem to answer it here. But do some soul searching on what is the law? How does it apply to me? Why did God give it to people and and that i think like that's an awkward note to end it on but that's really where i want to leave us is what is this law business part two of luther's catechism is the apostles creed which i'm pumped to talk about i think it'll be really valuable i'm really excited um to go through this i think this is as an evangelical this is like newer stuff for me and so i think it's just really really valuable we'll talk about it it's only a couple it's only three part two is only three articles so it'll take less time to actually read through what luther has to say but i think it deserves a little bit more attention because like luther says if there's something that your congregation is particularly guilty of zoom in on that and i am guilty of not having been exposed to the creed so we're going to talk about that and so with all of this said I would ask you, first, read Romans 1 through 4 and sit on why does Paul start this kind of epic gospel thing with, like, the way that he does. Two, think about the relationship between the law and the gospel and see what you think. What, what it, why is Exodus in the Bible? And third, have a great day. <laughs>